Thank you for downloading this podcast from the Pardes Institute of Jewish Studies. This episode of Pardes from Jerusalem features Tova Lea Nachmani and Parashat Shlach. Five days, 28 class options, and one memorable summer learning experience. The Pardes Learning Seminar, Summer 2021, is online this year from July 4th to July 8th. Cultivating Courage and Resilience, Chazak Ve'ematz. Be sure to get more information at www.pardes.org.il forward slash seminar. Communal leaders, professionals, lifelong learners, and most importantly, you. Join us today. And now, here is Tova Lea Nachmani. Fixing a Broken Compass, Parashat Shalach Lacha. Did you ever think about your heart as a compass? When we want to achieve something good, when the desire is strong, if we follow our heart, we usually find the way to achieving it. And we find plenty of people who will join us or support us along the way. When we want to land a job or to receive positive feedback in our work, we are willing to spend time and money to prepare an impressive CV in order to get what we want. When we want to improve our health, we will spend time and money on going to the gym or going to medical experts or health practitioners. Our youngest daughter finished three years of rigorous army service this year. Like so many young Israelis, she set her heart on traveling to Central America before beginning her professional studies. At first, she couldn't find a flight because of COVID. And then when flights began opening up, she couldn't get her passport renewed in time. And then she couldn't find the right travel partners. But she kept at it until six months later, she was there. When we listen to our inner will, to the desire of our heart, to the GPS of our soul, no matter how many obstacles we bump up, bump up against on the way, we will find a way to journey toward our dream. This week's Parsha begins with a story of what we mistakenly call the sin of the spies, Chet HaMeraglim. Why is it mistaken? Because the word spies never appears in this section of the Torah. Soon we will exchange the term spies for a new term, and we'll try to clarify from a close reading of the verses what their mission was intended to be, why they failed in their mission, and how their overly critical thinking brought about demoralization, damage, and devastation. A bit of background just to remind us. Since leaving Egypt, the Israelites have witnessed endless demonstrations of God's presence and power. The parting of the sea, the revelation at Sinai, water from a rock, manna from heaven, a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Despite that, they haven't exactly been enthusiastic partners in the journey. They've complained about not having water and about having manna. They've received protection and guidance and have not shown a word of appreciation to God or to Moshe. They've danced around a golden calf and they have lusted for meat. They've been vocal about missing Egypt and wishing they had never left. In our Parsha, they publicly announced that they wish they had died in the wilderness or back in Egypt. Like a parent needs to do oftentimes, God accepts their weakness and forgives them. But not this time. There was no forgiveness for their failed leadership, for demoralizing most of an entire nation, for attempting to derail the settling of the promised land. Here's what happened in the beginning of our parsha, Shelach Lecha. 
God instructs Moshe to send 12 leaders, one from each tribe, to scout out the land of Canaan. From the recounting of this story in the first chapter of Deuteronomy, Devarim, we learn that the Israelite people were the ones who initiated this scouting in order to prepare for their conquest of the land, and Moshe thought it was a good idea. But here, in Numbers, Bamidbar, we receive clarifying information about what really happened. Moshe sends the leaders, instructing them to bring back a report about the land and the inhabitants. And after 40 days, they return. Ten of the leaders return with a subjectively pessimistic, critical report. They say, yes, the land is a good land, and here is some enormous fruit to show for it, but the inhabitants are powerful and the cities are fortified. The word but, as we know, diminishes or even deletes everything that comes before it. In Hebrew, the term used is ephes ki. Ephes means nothing, zero. It cancels out everything they said about the goodness of the land. The ten leaders also say, the land devours its inhabitants, eretz ocheret yeshveha. And they say, we can't go up, for the inhabitants are stronger than we. They also say that the people are giants, and they say, we looked like grasshoppers in our eyes. And so we must have looked in their eyes. And they say, Let's return to Egypt. But two of the twelve leaders, Kalev and Yoshua, Joshua, are described as having a different spirit, a ruach acheret, which I would like to translate as a spirit of faith-based optimism. Optimism is not popular these days. Many consider it naive. But it is what Rabbi Yohanan ben Zakkai in Pirkei Avot calls a lev tov, which he claims is the most important attribute a person can acquire. What was the result of their pessimism? The generation of the wilderness who had witnessed firsthand the exodus from Egypt and the revelation at Sinai would be stuck in the desert for another 40 years and would die and be buried in the desert. They themselves said to Moshe after returning from their mission, we wish we would have died in Egypt or here in the wilderness. Ironically and sadly, what they wished for came true. Only their children would enter the land and be charged with the project of conquering and settling it. This story is our people's watershed story. Nothing was the same afterwards, and we are still fasting and mourning and struggling to take it to heart. If you haven't yet read this story, I encourage you to read it closely. The Book of Numbers, Bamidbar, chapter 13 and 14, and for context, to read also Deuteronomy Devarim chapter 1. Now, those were the facts. Here is the commentary. Where did the ten leaders go wrong? The leaders entered the land with an agenda of their own. They wanted to conduct a spy mission. Fair enough, days before they would be entering the land. But the Torah makes it clear in the first verse of our portion that God is allowing them to go on a reconnaissance mission under the condition that they bring back a good report which will strengthen the resolve of the people to take possession of the land. God spoke to Moshe saying, Send leaders so they may tour the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel. You are going in to possess the land which I am giving to the children of Israel. Their mission was meant, therefore, to be a PR mission. It was to help excite the people who had never seen the land and to create their buy-in before they were to embark on their collective mission 
of settlement and the battles that would entail. How do we know this? Because of the unusual word Latour, which is repeated a dozen times in this one story, unlike in English where we try to never use the same word twice in a story or an article, the exaggerated repetition of a Hebrew word in the Torah is a literary tool drawing our attention to nuanced, to nuance. Rabbi Jonathan Sachs of Blessed Memory wrote on this parsha, the Torah has two verbs for spying, lachpor, which means to dig, to excavate, and leragel, from the word foot, regel, which we get from which we get the word meragel or meraglim, spies. It is important to note that neither of these words appear in our parsha. Instead, no less than 12 times, we encounter the rare verb latur. This verb was revived in modern Hebrew, and it means, and it even sounds like, to tour, latur. What is the difference between a tourist and a spy? The missions of a spy are about discovering a place's weakness, weaknesses and vulnerabilities. The exclusive use of the word verb latur in our parsha repeated 12 times, maybe one for each of the leaders, is there to tell us that the 12 leaders were not spent, sent to spy. Their mission was actually Latour, to explore and report on the good things of the land so that the people would know it was worth fighting for, not if it was possible to conquer. Sadly, only two leaders understood their mission, writes Rabbi Sachs. The Malbim, 19th century Ukrainian rabbi and expounder of Torah, explains the difference simply. Latour means to seek out the good. That is what tourists do. As tourists, once we choose our destination, we seek out the places which are most beautiful and most inspiring. We don't look for places which are undesirable. So how did 10 of the 12 leaders come back with a negative report? Rabbi Sachs claims not because they lacked courage or confidence or even faith in God, rather, because they completely misunderstood their mission. Based on the intelligence they had gathered, they advised the people not to go up, not to take possession of the land. Instead of imbuing the people with confidence in their ability to settle the land, the leaders, overly critical, brought back a pessimistic narrative about how it would be wrong of the people to take possession of the land. Their gloomy report demoralized the people who cried all night long in their tents, making them lose faith in Moshe and in their mission. Our oral tradition holds up their transgression of these leaders as the reason for future exiles from the land. In the Talmud, Masechet Ani 29a, Rabbi Yochanan said, the people cried all that night. That night was Tisha B'Av, the ninth of Av. God said to them, you cried with futility. It was a wasted crying because you allowed yourselves to be misled by the pessimism of your leaders. I will now give you something to cry about for all generations. Tisha B'Av is accepted in our tradition as the date when both the first and the second Beit HaMikdash were destroyed, along with some other national disasters. In order to make the day of the ninth of Av a national day of mourning and yearning for the ability of the Jewish people to live as a free nation, with God in their midst, together in their land. 
One of my esteemed teachers, renowned Israeli Tanakh scholar Rabbi Elchanan Samet, asked ask a question that every careful reader asks in his book called Inyunim B'parshot HaShavua. Weren't Moshe's words, by instructing them to scout if the land is good or bad, and if the people of the land were strong or weak, didn't that leave them wide open to choose to bring back a negative and critical report? First of all, Moshe was not reprimanded for this. And second of all, through a close reading, Rav Samet argues that Moshe is asking them to find out if the people were many or few, and if they were strong or weak, was a way of finding out if there was ample food supply in the land. In a place where horticulture is thriving, there will be a walled city. If they would find temporary dwellings, it would point to a nomadic presence, which means that the land is not fertile enough for growing food. Again, all of this was with the intention of encouraging the people and, and enabling them to believe that there would be enough food for them when they came into the land. In addition, we read in Deuteronomy chapter 6 that God intended for the Israelites to inherit the already built towns and the vineyards in the land of Canaan. The ten leaders didn't just report the facts. They wove their facts into a demoralizing editorial by claiming with their clear majority, ten leaders against two, we will never be able to conquer it. This is a story, writes Rabbi Sachs, of failed leadership. Their leadership fails because they draw conclusions about the entire enterprise of conquering the land. They look at the promised land under a magnifying glass and not with a wide-angle lens. With what lens are we looking at Israel today? If we are looking through a zoom lens or under a microscope, we might be missing a lot of context. If I take a picture of you for your profile and I focus in only on your nose or on one of your imperfections, you will probably say that the photo is accurate but not a fair representation of who you are. If I switch lenses and step back to include some of your family or a place that you are connected to, um, the photo will represent you with better perspective and with greater clarity. We are now three weeks away from the three weeks leading up to Tisha B'Av. We can't change anyone else, but we can each check our own attitudes, our own overly critical thinking. Constructive critique is a gift that we can give. Critique is good. To receive and to give. But pessimism and demoralization is toxic and destructive. Rabbi Sachs wrote, One of the fundamental tasks of any leader, from president to parent, is to speak with optimism, to give people a sense of confidence in themselves, in the group of which they are part, and in the mission itself. A leader must have faith in the people that they lead and inspire that faith in them. As Rosabeth Moss Cantor of the Harvard Business School writes in her book, Confidence, leadership is not about the leader. Is it, about, it is about how the leader builds confidence of everyone else. Confidence, by the way, writes Rabbi Sachs, is Latin for having faith together. I call this faith-based optimism. I'll end with a theological question and some reflection questions for you to discuss. Why did God even allow the people to go if it could have turned out as bad as it did? Of course, we don't know the answer, 
Um, but I might speculate that in their covenant with God, the Jewish people always needed and will always need buy-in. No matter how much a person desires to give us a token of their love, for example, to marry us, to build a home with us, it won't happen unless we accept, unless there is buy-in on our part, unless we invest of our own selves in the project. So la tour et la aretz is our buy-in. It was then and it is now. My questions for reflection are the following. I have three questions. One, share with others your optimism about Israel. What is good about Israel? In what ways has Israel made an impact on your life, on your community, or on communities, Jewish or non-Jewish, beyond your own? Number two, do you have a critique of Israel? If so, how can you share it in a constructive, caring way? And with whom is it appropriate to share so that it will do good and not harm? Number three, what connects you to Israel? What is your buy-in? What have you done for Israel? What do you do? And is there more that you would like to be able to do? Shabbat Shalom. Thank you for downloading this podcast, a production of the Pardes Institute of Jewish Studies. If you liked what you just heard, please give us a five-star review wherever you download your podcast today. Be sure to follow us on Spotify for the latest episode of Pardes from Jerusalem, or to visit us at elmod.pardes.org. Tune in next week as Rabbanit Nachama Goldman Barish discusses Parashat Korach. Thanks for listening.